right, welcome back to Blair and Barker. Reminder that uh, last hour of Blair and Barker was brought to you by our very good friends at uh, Bet Rivers. Uh, that segment was between the lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. 705 will be the first pitch tonight from the Bronx. What are you looking at me like that for? 705 will be the uh, time of the first pitch tonight from the Bronx. Jose Barrios against Garrett Cole. The uh, acknowledged, I think we can say, the acknowledged front runner, the Al Cy Young Award. Um, Shohei Otani. Is he a lock in your mind for the AL MVP? Or cause see, I think I think Kyle Tucker should get some votes. I don't think so. I think with the pitching side of it too. I don't know, man. I, I was I was watching the MLB Network and they were having the uh, they were having uh, that debate. It's an, it's, it's an interesting debate. It won't be. I, I guarantee it won't be unanimous. I think it's pretty safe to say it won't be unanimous. Uh. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. not in the lineup tonight, not in the lineup last night. Hazel May reporting that uh, Vladdy's MRI showed no structural damage, just some inflammation. Um, he is day-to-day. Vladdy talked about it uh, before tonight's game and um, just parsing uh, some of his comments here. Uh, he mentioned that he was dealing with the injury for a little bit. Uh, during the season, he said, the other day I just woke up with discomfort in my knee. I don't have an explanation for it, but uh, something I have to deal with. He said, he said, I wouldn't say I've had it all season. Most of the time, it's either my knee or wrist. So, I mean, he's got the usual, usually banged up. Um, he says, it feels good. It feels better now. I, I There was some concern, and I put my hand up here. I forgot about this when this report came out yesterday. I forgot that he missed a bunch of time in double A with a knee injury. And he was asked about that today. And he said, this injury is totally different. Um, If it was what I felt back in the minors, I would have been back in the Dominican Republic already. Um, He said, it's not the same knee as it is in the minors. He did go on to say that, um, he notices it when he runs. He says, when I'm hitting, it feels okay. So that's kind of where we are right now with Vladdy and that right knee. I think it's safe to say this is something that's probably going to have to be, it's probably something that's going to have to be monitored uh, for the rest of the Throw year. a little duct tape on it. Get out there. Your thoughts about that, though? Doesn't Throw a little duct tape on it. Get out there. Doesn't sound to me like it's a big deal. You're able to walk around and laugh about it and have a conversation about it, and that's it's not a big deal. That's what it said. Not that uh, big did, of a deal. Yeah, he did say. There uh, you go. Then you know, I can't be. I'm sad. I can't hey. be in the lineup tonight. Yeah. Um, you better be in there tomorrow. Said I guess I got to take a rest or something. I'll be okay. So there you, there go. you go. I mean, it. it, it it's. Um, you know, I wonder. I no, I couldn't see it. I think if they'd lost last night, Vladdy would be in the lineup. You think that has anything to do with this? Like you won the series, um, it's a night off for the other teams you're chasing. I, I you know, I, you're right. Don't overthink these things. I get that, but do um, you think that maybe buys the Jays a little wiggle room? I don't think at so. all. I don't think so. If he I was think, good to go. He's good to go. They got a lot of faith. He's not good to go. They got a lot of faith in their pitching. Pitching's the reason why they're here. Yep. Yep. 
So there you go. That is uh, the update as we have it uh, from Vladdy Jr. Again, uh, no structural damage in the knee. It is inflammation. Um, and Vladdy, Vladdy certainly, you know, just kind of reading what he said, it certainly doesn't seem as if he's uh, losing any great sleep over uh, over this injury. Nope. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, we kind of wondered. We kind of wondered about whether or not he might have had some some injury issues. That's why we keep asking about it. We keep asking about whether or not. Well, you're circling that wagon, ain't you? Well, I just am. Ah, I am. Hey, here's what I say. Every year here's when the I'm season's gonna... over, Kevin, you know as well here's... as I do, we are going to, every year when the season's over, somebody ends up having surgery and we go, huh. Has he played? That's all I know. Ben Verlander is host of the Flippin' Bats podcast. He's Fox Sports MLB analyst. Joining us now on Blair and Barker. Ben, thanks for doing this. We uh, appreciate your time. I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about Shohei Otani. I swear to God, I won't do that. Uh, but now that I have you, um, I know I've, you've followed the, uh, we've all followed the Otani story with with a tremendous amount of, of interest, obviously, and it's something we're going to be talking about uh, through, through the off season. It's a very simple question for you. The, the, the release from the angels, the release from his agent, the report from the doctor, to your mind, does that change anything at all in terms of the market for him this off season? Look, I, I think um, post injury, I think it's natural that he's not going to get quite the amount of dollars that he probably would have. But, you know, I, I, I don't know if people would be shocked or not by this, but I, I do think it's, close you know we're talking uh assuming it's the the big long-term deal that everybody imagined is coming and he's not going to sign a you know a short-term deal uh while all this is going on we're talking one year where he's not going to be a pitcher one season out of the however many um so i i still think he's going to get uh, upwards of half of a billion dollars um and i think the wording of everything and all of the reports is very uh, interesting, to say the least. If you read into it all, nobody has used the words Tommy John. Nobody. Mm-hmm. It's all a procedure. The procedure went well. Um, Dr. Neil Elitrach, who did the who did the surgery, said uh, he'll be good to go for 2024. Pitching, he'll be good to go for 2025. Everything went well. Uh, but, yeah, the wording is all very particular. And, in my opinion, it's to shape it. Um, to, with an eye towards this offseason. And, and everything I have heard is that uh, this, this injury certainly wasn't um, – it was a, a good outlook. It was a different tear than the first one that he had a couple of years ago. So I don't think – I really don't think it changes much. I still think he's going to have a lot of suitors. Obviously, this year he was the best – he was the best offensive guy in the American League. And I know Corey Seager's in that discussion as well, but he, he played even less time. But – we're talking about a huge bat next year and one of the greatest players that we've ever seen going forward after that. Ben, any chance we see him, I don't know, two years from now as a closer instead of a starter? You know, I, I was thinking about this, and um, I have I have John Smoltz on my show every week, and it is something I asked him because if there's anybody better to ask, <laughs> it's him. Mm-hmm. A guy that, uh, you know, that did do both and was a Hall of Fame starter and was a, an elite closer. And, and we discussed it for quite a bit, just bouncing back and forth off of each other. And one thing we, we kind of realized is 
Look, Shohei is going to hit. And if he were to become a closer, it just gets really tricky there. You know, like what if his spot's coming up in the, in the bottom of the eighth or the top of the ninth or whatever, and he needs to go get ready to, to close out games? Obviously, um, there, there's always bullpens underneath, like where the batting cages are underneath in the tunnels. There's a, there's a mound that he could throw off of. But it just gets tricky while he's hitting to, to be in that closer role. And I don't think Shohei wants that. I know we saw it in the World Baseball Classic, and it was awesome, and it might be like the most famous at bat we've ever seen. But I, I think he wants to start, and for the foreseeable future, I think we're talking about a, a starter and one of the best hitters in baseball. But, man, how cool would it be if he came oh. trotting out of the bullpen in the ninth inning, throwing 100 miles an hour and hitting homers, too? Oh, it'd be awesome. Uh, it would be. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, he's already a great show, but if, if that was the case on multiple you – know, Two times a series. Cool you know, walkout song. Shohei, Shohei Otani closes two games and closes two games in a two-game series and hits a grand slam. You know that. Yeah. I mean, it would be it, it, it would be something else. Hey, do you think? Because I've got this, and this is not an original thought for me. But everybody that I kind of talk to, anytime I get around to, you know, do you think the Blue Jays might actually kind of, sort of, maybe, possibly, like kick the tires and all this? Uh, on Otani, I always get you know just from different national writers, and that's funny you mention that you know because people are saying if there's an organization that's got kind of a corporate ownership that could somehow leverage Shohei Otani into a business interest, and also has a you know fair amount of money and has spent a lot of money on its rehab facilities, pitching lab, etc. It would be it would be the Blue Jays. Do you think that there is any way? That when Shohei Otani sits down, he would be, I'm going to use the word susceptible, Ben, to a an approach from a team that isn't the Dodgers or isn't the Angels. Or Seattle. Or Seattle. Uh, man. I mean, is there a chance? Sure. Um, I do think it's probably a very, very small chance. Look, look, we, we know what he wants, and he's been vocal about this. The number one thing that he wants to do is win. And I think any team that is ready to win right now is automatically put on a short list. And the Toronto Blue Jays are on that. Um, he's been very vocal about what he wants. It's, it's not money. It's not, you know, location is certainly important. And I, I do think that's why the West Coast is a big factor here because it makes things a lot easier in Japan for people to be able to, to watch him. Um, but winning is the number one priority. And if the Blue Jays are able to, to, to come up with, with that money and present a good offer and, and show him that this is the place that's going to be able to win for the next however long the deal is going to be, five, seven, eight, ten years, uh, I, I do think, albeit a very, uh, you know, short, a very low percentage, I, I do think um, because of their ability to win right now and, clearly an ability to win for a long time to come with that pitching and, and a fairly young core they have there. Uh, I, I would absolutely say yes. Ben, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the Blue Jays. Uh, from the outside looking in, you look at the other teams. You look at Texas, they can rake. You look at the Astros, they can rake. You look at the Mariners, they can rake on occasion when everything's lined up the way it's supposed to be lined up. Uh, Texas, you can throw in there, they can rake. The Blue Jays occasionally rake and most of the time don't. They're a pitching team. 
how hard do you think down the stretch here the last nine games it is just for everything to go right, right? When you have to, you know, make sure every pitch matters to the nth degree like the Blue Jays do, occasionally something's going to go wrong. What do you think about the Blue Jays? Look, I, I, I agree with what you said, but heading into the playoffs, I would rather, and I've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks on, on my show, it, when the, the blueprint to win in the playoffs we've seen over the last you know decade, two decades, and there are teams that don't exactly fit the mold, but ultimately what, what you want is pitching. And it's a one, two, three guy in a rotation you can turn to. It's a good back into the bullpen, and it's guys on offense that are capable of running into some balls and, and winning the ball games that way. And if you have a deep lineup and you have the depth, that, that really makes all the difference in the world. But to me, the pitching makes the, the Blue Jays a very enticing team for me uh, as we head towards October. The rest of the season, honestly, with these three wild card spots available and the, the one AL West winner, it's a crapshoot. And, and who's one team is there of all those teams, of all four, every single one of them has over a 50% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah. But mm-hmm. one of them is going to miss it. One of them is going to have to. And I think the regular season and with the, the Mariners and the Rangers going to beat up on each other for seven games still, uh, somebody's going to have to miss it, and that's kind of a crapshoot. But when you get to the playoffs, which teams are built to win? Uh, I, I think the Mariners with their pitching – I think the the Blue Jays with their pitching, and I think uh, obviously I, I think the Astros are going to get in, and and they've shown that they're able to win in October. But the Blue Jays are certainly one of those teams to me that if they can get in here over the last week and a half, they're built to win in October. I, I really do believe that, and a large part of that, the the reason I say that is because of the pitching. Do you think anybody in the National League takes out the Braves? No, I don't. But I, I do think it. I think if we get another NLDS Braves Phillies, uh, I, I think people are almost writing the Bra- or the, the Phillies off a little bit because yep, of I how agree. far behind they are in the NL East. But that's just because of how good the Braves are. I mean, you look at that team; they're better than the world. They're they're better than last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I only say that if Wheeler and Nola and and Suarez are pitching the way they were in the playoffs. But offensively unbelievable uh, pitching. They do have a couple of co-aces. I know they haven't pitched like it all year, but I, I just, I think if you were to tell me right now that the Phillies end up in, in the world series, I would not be shocked. Do I think it's going to be the Braves? Absolutely. I think they're the best team in baseball, but I would not be shocked if the Phillies end up doing it again. What do you think the world thinks about the Padres? I know what we think about them. What do you think the world thinks about the Padres? They've been on a little run here. How the question would be is how have they went on their little run and why haven't they been able to do that all season? I think the world, I, 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 I think the general consensus is the Padres are almost like a, a, a laughing stock. I think it's similar to, to the Mets this season. I, you know, um, the teams have tried it. They've gone for it. They added, they spent all the money in the world and it all came crashing and burning down. And, uh, you know, I was, I was talking about this today for a while with the Padres was, you know, the team never really got an identity. And when you have the team that they have with all the superstars that they do and the best player on your team is Hassan Kim. And this is no discredit to Hassan Kim. I like him a lot. He's an incredible baseball player, but you look at that roster, he should not be the best player on that team. And it just felt like every one of those main guys, the Bogarts, the Sotos, the Tatis, the Machado, 
it all it it always felt like they were maybe a little competitive with each other and trying to one up and trying to be the guy on that team that doesn't need a guy it just needs those stars to be those stars and there was no okay get on base i'm going to get him over okay i'll drive him in it was all just i want to be the mvp of this team full of mvps and it just never meshed until what september 21st and and now you know, mathematically, is it too late? No, but it just it feels like a long shot. It feels like it's too late, and it just felt like they never figured out an identity until far too late in the year. And uh, all those guys, all those superstars, just weren't able to to find their role. They all just tried to carry the team on their own, and it doesn't work like that. And the Jays are wrapping up a series with the Yankees tonight, and it was an interesting comment from Whit Merrifield after last night's uh, Jays win. And it was, and it, it was, he was being very it diplomatic. Was it was a jab. Well, it was a bit of a jab. Yeah, yeah. It was. He, he talked about, you know, it's kind of, well, you know, you got it. I mean, it was just a general sort of state of the team thing, state of the race. But he talked about how the team needs to maintain a certain approach against teams that might be quote, a little more engaged <laughs> is how he said it. If I could, if I could put it that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, we've watched the Yankees a lot this year. I kind of keep an eye on them because there's there's a lot about the Yankees. I I mean, I kind of like the Yankees. And I'm looking at this team. And, Ben, I I think there's there's some heavy lifting here. And I I just don't see that. I don't, you know, unless Shohei Otani goes, I don't see the free agent that cures cures the issues that surround the Yankees. I, I think this team could be a couple of years away from being being able to contend in the East because I think Baltimore is going to get better. Tampa's Tampa. Toronto's Toronto. Boston needs a couple of pitchers. I'd still rather have their lineup than New York. How big a concern do you think the Yankees should be for, for Hal Steinbrenner? Yeah, the Yankees, (laughs) the Yankees are in trouble. Uh, If you were to tell me that the Yankees are going to finish and, and, you know, fourth or fifth place in that division for the next two years, I don't, I don't think it would shock me. Um, I think them and the Red Sox right now are clearly um, the bottom of the barrel in that division. And, and bottom of the barrel in the AL East is a little different than bottom of the barrel in other divisions. I, I will acknowledge that. I think they're good teams, but they're not great teams. And that division is full of great teams. And I, they, the Yankees are so confusing to me just because I feel like the roster is built on, you know, if one player goes down, they're in trouble mm-hmm. and they have so many massive contracts and the Aaron judge one is, is, is great. Aaron judge is Aaron judge, but like you're sitting on a Giancarlo Stanton contract right now. And I know he's been critical of himself in, in the media lately and, and he understands and nobody gets it more than he does, but the guy's hitting 188, and you're paying him all the money in the world. And the power is still there, but he's not, you know, like he's not a guy you can count on in the middle of that lineup right now. You can't have a guy there hitting 188 with a little bit with, with a lot of power that runs into one every once in a while. And just feels like this roster is now built where if they run into one little issue throughout the season, and it's 162 games. I can't remember the last time a team got through 162 games without dealing with some sort of key player getting hurt. They, they fall apart because yeah. they, they, it's like if it's not perfect, then the Yankees are, don't have what it takes. And, man, I, I just I, I look at that team and I don't see it. I haven't for the last 
two years. I haven't for the last few years. I know they made it to the ALCS last year, but I, I would argue the Mariners played the Astros better than the Yankees did in the mm-hmm. postseason. It, it, it didn't look like it looked like the Mariners were the better team of those two. And now this year we see Aaron judge go down and we see what that means to the team. And then we get an underperforming Giancarlo Stanton and we see what that means to the team. It just feels like to me, the Yankees, if it's not perfect, Giancarlo Stanton being the best of his ability, Aaron judge being healthy all year long, Anthony Rizzo being healthy all year long, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon being healthy all year long. They're not going to be any good. And and it really doesn't feel like they're very close right now. Mm. Good stuff, Ben. We yeah. appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks for this. Thanks a lot. Of course. I appreciate you guys for having me. Take care. Ben Verlanders, host of the Flippin' Bats podcast and MLB analyst with Fox Sports. Yeah, it's... Uh, I love Witt's line. Teams that are more engaged. You know, I, I, it, it was interesting hearing Dan, hearing Dan and Buck talk about because they're there and we're not there, but it was interesting hearing them talk about the, the mood Mm-hmm. at Yankee Stadium and Yankee Stadium has always it's a stadium that always comes through on TV like there are a lot of places there are a lot of stadiums I've gone to that are much more rambunctious and much noisier than than comes through on 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 TV mm-hmm. Yankee Stadium's not one of those places it generally it's it feels like a big deal and it comes through the TV. And man, the last couple of nights, it's just been, it's just been dead ass. Yeah, there's a bunch of easy outs in that lineup, right? It's, it's, it's competing. It's passing the baton, which, you know, good teams always say that and always preach that. Is, but there's not even, you know, they're, they're, it's funny, like Susan Waldman's thing. You know, I'm looking at this lineup. There are guys. I mean, Esteban Florial's probably just going to be yeah. a guy. I, yeah, it's like, just there's there's nothing going on there. I like, guess what I'm trying to say there's nothing going on. Like to your point, like you you could hang your hat a little bit on Davis Schneider or on Spencer Horowitz. Well, yeah, absolutely, sure. Like, like you could be sure. happy to see them again next exactly. year. It's okay, right? They can compete. They look like they got exactly. a plan at the plate. Like a good bat path, enough bat speed. Like can make a, adjustments on the fly. Like can you know combat weaknesses, like all those kind of things, I'm with you. If you're a Yankees fan, you see those dudes play, do they look like they can do any no. of those things? They all look, Right, it's just going up swinging at everything. and They look like the same player to me. They do. Basically, so, other than Vol- – and, and listen, I I like Volpe. I, you know, I think Susan's right. It, Volpe is going to be a good shortstop. He'll be their shortstop for a long period of time, but he isn't going to be Bo. He's going to be a shortstop that when that team is winning is probably going to be hitting eighth or ninth, yeah. stealing a bunch of bases and playing good defense. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, you know, the catcher, a lot of people like, I don't know, Buck speaks highly of the catcher. Speak, people speak highly Tilly, about him. Tilly tries to do it on one knee. Buck yeah. don't like that. Buck does not like the Especially one knee. Especially a guy on third base. I'm sort of a Buck. I don't really get it. I, like, I understand the steal and strike thing, and it's a thing now, and everybody wants to see it. I tweeted out Trick a, the uh, umpire, but I don't get the one knee with a dude at third, and you're trying to block the play. I just don't get that. Yeah, I, make sense I tweeted out a link to uh, Travis Sochick, did a terrific article in the score talking about, on the score site, talking about sort of the evolution of the catcher going down on one knee and it involves a Yankees coach, a Yankees catching coordinator, but there's an explanation as to why he thinks it works. And basically, the idea behind it was that it affects 
the umpire's the sense of proportion the umpire has with the strike zone, which so, is what we've been told. It allows yeah, you to yeah. steal lower pitches. But See, to your point, but to your point, to, to your point, first of all, you know, if we we get I, some sort of 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 a uh, uh, of a challenge system in here, I'm not certain how good it's going to be. And and to your point about when you got a man in third, like just I I still need my catcher to block the ball, man. I. I I just do. I, I just don't understand why if an umpire sees a catcher move his glove, the first thing you would think of as a umpire, why are you moving it? But you see that that's the thing, right? You're this not, is the thing. And again, it's they're not, not calling it from center. It's not it's not the, it's not the moving of the glove. If if you read this article, it's not the moving of the glove. It's the fact that you know, again, I'm not gonna get into the whole thing, but it's about the proportion of the player, the proportionality of the catcher, and the thought that umpires were using where the catcher's knee was at times as a strike zone. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, I, I'm, I, listen, I'm not saying I, I agree with it, but a whole bunch of people are doing it. I mean, it obviously works. You watched last night? It works. Like, I, there's a reason why yeah, they're going night, to a knee. Last it night, works. But last night was different. Last night was a bad strike zone. That would have been a bad strike zone if Danny Jansen had been behind the plate standing up like this, right? It still would have been. But anyhow, I just, uh, yeah, I did. I, it, was, it was an interesting article. And if you're interested in it, I, I've tweeted out a, a link to it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun read. Speaking of fun read, uh, Jeff Passan has given out his uh, yearly award the uh, Passons, which is kind of a unique look at, uh, I would say off the wall, but that doesn't do justice at some of the different events, some of the personalities in baseball, game of the year, things of that nature. Jeff Passon joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan and Sportsnet. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. First pitch is 7.05 from the Bronx. The uh, Jays go for the sweep of the New York Yankees. Uh, Garrett Cole for the Yankees. Jose Barrios mm. for the say, Jays. Why do you say it that way? Huh? Why do you say it that way? Barrios. Um, uh, Barrios. Barrios. Barrios, whatever. I tried to I tried to sex it up a bit. Barrios. That's what you say it? I was, I, was, I, was, I, I was talking. What? I was talking to Mar- I, I was talking to Morosi about uh, yeah, something yeah, today, don't, so don't you know. Don't try to say how he says it. You know, it's like he speaks nine languages. He does. I yeah, know. like that's. Not, I mean, I did spend. I did stay in your lanes. I Jeff. did spend Jose Jose <laughs> Bautista's entire career calling him Jose Bautista. Uh, that's what I call it. Yeah, but it's Jose Bautista. It Jose is Berrios. Berrios. I just like saying Berrios too. He gets to start tonight, and then it's off to uh, Tampa. <laughs> he does. The uh, upcoming probables for Tampa, Chris Bassett against Tyler Glasnow. Ooh. Hyunjin Ryu against Zach Little. 
and you say Kikuchi. Yeah. Taj yeah, yeah. Bradley. Sleep Friday That's to right. Sunday. You say start Sunday, so let's make sure that Go he's Go to sleep on in. Friday. Get, get <laughs> to sleep at that lovely Vinoy, oh, Vinoy Hotel. That's something else. It is indeed. <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, wonder right. if Passon sleeps 14 hours a night. I don't know. We'll find out. He probably has no <laughs> idea what we're talking about. Let's bring him on. Hey, Passon, uh, how many hours of sleep do you get a yeah, night? Yeah, yeah. Barker, tell I'll, the truth I'll, now. I'll tell you where Barker's going. Barker's got this thing. But how many hours of sleep do you get? Normal. Okay, so so a couple a, a couple things. One, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like the biggest story in baseball this week, <laughs> despite all the pennant race. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's huge. It, it, it's awesome. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, I, I'm going to turn this on you. How, Blair, knowing, uh, knowing what you know about me since yeah. we've been friends for like 20 years now, yeah. knowing what you know about my job, yes. how many hours a night uh, do you think I get of sleep? Uh, on the road, I'm going to say four and a half uh at home i haven't been traveling much lately though so okay well well not no because you i i think you're probably you could probably run in about six hours Mm. i think you could go in six hours sleep i'm usually between like three and five wow it's not it's not yeah it's not good i i don't i don't recommend it at all it's Mm. it's why i will i will retire early because i cannot continue at this pace there you go but uh i i will say this every so often probably every two to three weeks i will have a day where i just need to recharge it's almost like i I look at it like i'm a phone and i get down to like one percent every night um (laughs) and then there's in the and then there's that one night where i just get down to zero and need like the full recharge and we'll go like a good 10 to 12 hours Wow. So mm. I am I am capable I am capable of sleeping for fourteen hours. Wow. I don't I don't do it you know I don't do it once a week like you say Kikuchi does, but I I am capable and I very much enjoy it. And part of that also is having like a teenage boy and another who's on the cusp of being a teenager. Yeah, well, there you go. Who finally likes <laughs> who finally likes sleeping now. So I don't have little kids coming in and messing up my program. And that was the that was like the craziest part of the Kikuchi story to me. The fact that he's got a four-year-old. I know. How how does his wife, like that four-year-old must just spend the day that dad starts at the park or at, at the pool or somewhere not at home. Well, the, yeah. and, and the story, I mean, the legend kind of kind of grew a little bit today because Whit Merrifield went a little deeper into it and basically said that, well, he basically made it sound like he was a narcoleptic and that basically he would fall asleep in the mound, fall asleep in the <laughs> whirlpool, fall asleep in the sauna. Uh, he mentioned, he said he does like to meditate a lot, and sometimes he tells us that he's actually not sleeping, he's meditating. Oh, um, yep. So, yeah, yep. I mean, he is. Where's the, where's, the, where's the place that you fall asleep where you shouldn't? Driving. I, ha- I have one, and, and, and mine... Like, I wish I could sleep on planes. I would pay so much money for the ability to sleep on planes. I can't do that. But the place where I fall asleep really quickly that I shouldn't is when I'm at the barber and, like, I'm getting my hair shampooed and they put, like, the hot towel with the lavender oil on my face. And it's like I sometimes within, like, that 90 seconds will find myself, like, I'll catch myself going, you know, like a tiny little, I'm like, oh, God. And I just sort of snap awake. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, no, I, I don't, I, I don't really have any areas where I 
like where I where I fall asleep. I mean, I do I do have an I do fall asleep reading a lot. I I do I I, yeah. I fall asleep reading if I'm on the couch reading or something like that. Um, I'll fall asleep, then I'll get up and continue to read. Then I'll fall asleep, and then I'll get up and continue to read. Barker's yeah, just fascinated no, no, by give, this. You got to give you say credit that he's actually honest on why he had the yeah. stiff neck. Yeah, uh, he could have very easily yeah, sure. said, "I threw thirty-two breaking balls." That's the, I've never thrown that in the start before, but instead he said, I only got a whopping 11 hours. I need, I need 14. Anyhow, there's, there is a, there's a star major league baseball player right now who had terrible narcolepsy for a while. And, and he has, I don't want to, you know, out somebody medical condition that's been figured out, but yeah, it, it, it got, uh, it got figured out, but it was like there were concerns that it was going to be problematic for a while. Well, I could tell you that Lee Smith uh, would sleep from the first inning to the sixth inning. To like the seventh? <laughs> he would. No, they, they, when he was with the X, this guy used to laugh about it. Cause, and it took me like a month to figure out. I'm watching, just watching a game in the seventh inning, and Lee Smith is a big man, and he moved very slowly and very deliberately. And I remember, I remember looking what why the hell is he walking towards the bullpen in the seventh inning you know and he's got a he's got a cup of coffee with him and he's walking i found out it's because yeah he he would come out for the national anthem and then he'd go into yep. the clubhouse and he'd sleep and he would just he would sleep honestly, on the trainer's table like and snore honestly like, it's not yeah, rest he would sleep be, being being a closer is i take that back being a veteran closer mm. is the best job in sports because a veteran closer, like if you're a young closer, you're not hanging out in the cl- veteran closers. They don't have to be out in the bullpen till like the seventh. Well, they can do what That's they want. A, absolutely, and they're supposed it, to be it, quirky. Breaking, it's endearing. You're supposed to be quirky. It's I like it. Anyhow, Lee Smith was, uh, yeah, God love him. But that was uh, uh, that was the thing, and and apparently if. You know, there would be two, two or three trainers' tables. Apparently, if the guys got injured and they came in, he, Lee would still be there. Like he'd just be in the room and he'd be sleeping. <laughs> and they'd be working on a dude's knee and everything. And and honest to God, the story was he wouldn't move. He wouldn't move. You know, they'd be like working and talking. I got to do this and maneuver this a bit. And there's Lee, and he was in his uniform with his cleats, just sleeping, no pillow, not just just sleeping. It's bizarre. Um, hey. Uh, Tell me what I need to know about Jeff Greenberg, the new general manager of the Detroit Tigers. This intrigues me because he cut his teeth with the Cubs in baseball, worked for the Blackhawks for a little bit, and was charged yep. with overhauling, actually installing their analytics department. Now yep. he's back in baseball. And we've seen guys do this, right? Paul D. Podesta went from, I think he was with the Browns for a while um, a- a- after yep. leaving the Athletics. And We've seen other guys do this, but um, what do I need to know about about Jeff Greenberg? Is this is this a gamble? Is this a gamble by the Tigers? Paul Debedes is still with the Browns, by the way. He is um, still with the Browns. Okay. Yeah, um, you know, I think Jeff Greenberg is sort of a a modern type executive, if you will. Uh, he's got a degree from Columbia Law School, and uh, I, I don't look at law degrees. Uh, as anything more than uh, someone who gets a really good education on how to think through problems. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like law and, law and economics are like the same thing. And when you have front offices 
who are, are dealing with the same information and trying to extract 1% more out of it than, than their competition, right? That's all analytics is. It, it's just trying to be a little bit better than your competitors, then having somebody who thinks really well is a big part of that. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a guy named Daniel Adler who's an assistant GM with the Twins mm-hmm. who works for the Jacksonville Jaguars before that, and, and he's a super smart guy. Um, I, I think the hiring of Jeff Greenberg has as much to do with his relationship with Scott Harris, who's the president uh-huh. of baseball operations there, as it does anything, because the two of them work together when they were with the Chicago Cubs, uh, like hand in hand. And I think Jeff Greenberg uh, is, is the consigliere. I think he's the guy who, uh, who Scott Harris trusts and who will say no to him. And that when you're running an organization, uh, as much as you need to surround yourself with people who are going to support you in your ideas, you don't want that turning into groupthink or turning into people who believe they just have to say yes to you because you're the chief executive baseball officer. And I think Jeff Greenberg's job is going to be to, to say no to Scott Harris or at very least say why he should reconsider doing something and help him be a more efficient decision maker. And that's, you know, when, when Mark Spiro brought, brought in Ross Atkins, I know a lot of it was to, to run the day today, but it was also to check him on big picture decisions. Jeff, is Detroit in a hurry to get this figured out or is it a process? They should be in a hurry. I, I think they should be in a hurry because uh, the central division stinks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, minute, I'll say this. Minnesota might be dangerous in the playoffs. There, there are a few teams that I've talked with who worry about the twins because they think Pablo Lopez is really, really good. Uh, Sonny Gray is having a great year, uh, Bailey Ober, uh, and and just the power that they have in their lineup. But yeah. God, they strike out so much. And they the Yankees are gone. So, so the, much, yeah. The Yankees are gone, so that helps the Twins. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. Um, I, I look at the Cleveland Guardians. Tell me, gentlemen, a better rotation than Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, uh, Tanner Bybee, Gavin Williams, Logan Allen. Uh, it's fine. I was reading your column uh, before we came on, and, and uh, having uh, having seen Tanner uh, Bybee and uh, Logan Allen up close for a couple of starts, yeah, I'm all yeah. in with you. They're yeah. they're really good. Yeah. Like they made the Jays are not an, a juggernaut, but they made them look really bad. Yes, really bad. And. And, and look, if, if Alec Manoa figures things out and comes back next year and, and you have Gosman, Barrios, Bassett, um, you know, Manoa, uh, I mean, I think Ricky Tiedemann is going to be really good. I know he's a pitching prospect, but like the Jays have a very good rotation. Um, the Mariners have a very good and deep rotation that's going to be adding Robbie Ray back at some point next year. So there, there are others, but Cleveland's rotation is damn good. They just can't hit. So when you're Detroit and you have Spencer Torkelson finally figuring it out this year, Riley Green, uh, who had a, a sneaky good year, Kerry Carpenter, who nobody knows about, he can really hit, uh, and Colt Keith and uh, Jace Young coming up soon in, in a rotation where Tariq Skubal's been pitching really well. Matt Manning looked good this year. Results and stuff is nasty. Uh, Casey Mize is going to be coming. Like, they have pieces. 
Uh, they just need to spend some money. And, and I think that Chris Illich is going to give them money to spend this year, but I think that, uh, that they might be gun-shy after Javi Baez because, God, that is a terrible, terrible deal. And it's also the only money that they have on the books if Eduardo Rodriguez opts out going into next season. Is A.J. Hinch a good manager? Yes. How, I believe he is. How would we know that? I mean, I, I guess that's why they brought him to Detroit, right, is to figure it out, be good for the young guys, bad division, be competitive. Yeah. Like, has any of that happened? I Maybe. I. Uh, no, but I think in the early years when he was in Houston, that wasn't quite happening either. I, I look to me a good manager is someone who connects with players and who has the right process in place. That's fair. And, and, and I think, uh, I, I, I know the process there is good. You know, I covered enough Astros postseason games <laughs> and got to, got to talk with AJ enough that I, I know he's thoughtful on these things. And, you know, every manager is going to have players who he gets along with and doesn't get along with, but the, the vast majority of players, uh, at least in Houston, who have played under him have enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, I, I saw the Tigers a little earlier this year in Kansas city and, uh, you know, the, the half, eh, it was, yeah, it was like a half dozen guys who I talked with, uh, and they all sang his praises. So, you know, I, I, listen, I also get lied to happens quite often. So I, I don't, I, you know, they may have all been lying to me and they may secretly hate him and want to get, want him to get fired. But as far as I can tell, uh, he's pretty well liked. You're the best. Uh, before I let you run, Blake Snell is having quite a year, <laughs> to, say, to say the He's least. He's going to be an Oriole next year. Statistically. Um, where does he end up, do you think? I mean, I know we're in the middle of a pennant race and all that stuff, but... Um, it's, it's, no, it's a, it, dude, it's, it's, a, it's a question uh, I was talking with Alden Gonzalez, my colleague, about earlier this week. I think, I think it was like midnight, and I texted him. I was like, where the hell is Blake Snell going to pitch next year? And... He wrote back Boston with a question mark, Ooh. and I think that you know uh, the Red Sox need pitching. The Red Sox have money that they're going to spend, and I, you know, after offering John Lester four years and seventy million dollars to turn around and give Blake Snell the two hundred he's probably going to want after winning a second Cy Young this year. I don't know if the Red Sox are going to do that, but let's remember they're also the team that gave David Price $210 million. So it's, you know, it's not entirely far-fetched, not, not out of the question that, that they would do something like that. But uh, I, I think they could be in it. Uh, you wonder about the Chicago Cubs. Uh, I mean, the Cubs have good young pitching, but uh, they need, I think, at least one other arm. And, uh, you look at a team like the San Francisco Giants that has money to spend, and if they don't get Shohei Otani, they're going to go spend it somewhere. What are the what are the I was gonna, I'm going to call them the blemishes against him. Like, what does it mean that he, you know, he's got what I don't even know 93 walks now. Has he hit 100 yet? I don't know. He, he get 100 walks. What is that? He has. What he, does that yeah, mean? He has he he has the he has the most walks in baseball. He's just shy of 100. Um, and that's in 174 innings. He's he's walking more batters this year than he ever has before. He's also allowing the fewest hits in all of baseball. And he also, I mean, I hate to say this um, because I understand that run prevention is not specifically on the pitcher, 
but he's got the best ERA in the National League by like half a run. Yeah, and I, I still I still believe ERA means something. I understand when you're looking forward that fielding independent pitching, which is essentially a formula that includes your strikeouts, your walks, and your home runs allowed, the three things a pitcher can ostensibly control, tends to project what you're going to look like in the future. For example, Blake Snell had a 3-4 ERA last year. He had a 2.8 FIP. He's got a 2-3 ERA this year and a 3.5 FIP. So, I, you know, it, can you expect Blake Snell to have this sort of performance going forward? No. I, I would not bet on it. But what I do bet on, man, is that curveball. And when you watch when you watch the swings and misses he gets on his breaking ball and the fact that he's a left-hander who can dot at 98 on the corners, not a lot of guys like him out there, Jeff. And because of that, I think while he's not going to get a record contract for a pitcher by any means, I do think he's going to get paid. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, I, I found his year just fascinating. And, and seeing where he's going to end up, to me, is going to be it's going to be one of the big stories of the offseason. And you know, I, I look at this division, man. If either Boston or or, or, or Baltimore get a pitcher like that, yep. I mean, this division is going to be even tougher. Like, the, the reason I brought this up is, you know, Whit Merrifield is making a point after the Jays beat the Yankees yesterday. That essentially, he was saying we got to maintain the same approach, but eventually we're, we're going to run into teams that are more engaged is how he put it, than the Yankees. Yeah. And then I look at this I, division with the Orioles getting mm-hmm. better. If, if you drop Blake Snell in this... I mean, the Yankees could be they could have a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, I mean, you drop Blake Snell in there, but you're also going to drop Jackson Holiday in a full season of Heston Kerstad and yeah. Colt Kowser and Jordan Westberg. It's like this this team that the Orioles are putting together is about as good of a young team uh, as we've seen in God at least a quarter century. That's yeah. I mean, I mean, they, you know, you can look at the Cubs. Uh, they had some really good young players, but Adley Rutschman is is a franchise player. Gunnar Henderson is a franchise player. Jackson Holiday is a franchise player, and and that's not to speak of any of the other guys, uh, let alone Samuel Basalo, who's just crushing as a 19 year old catcher at Double A. And and by the way, Grayson Rodriguez has been awesome lately, and Kyle uh, Bradish has had a fantastic year, yeah. uh, one of the, the more underappreciated pitchers of the big league. So I don't know. They uh, like sorry Toronto, sorry everyone, <laughs> um, but the Orioles, especially if they go out there and spend a little bit of money, are going to be the team to beat in the American League East for the foreseeable future. Yep, absolutely. Jeff, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate it. Go get some sleep. Thanks, buddy. Take it easy, boys. Take care. That's Jeff Passan, MLB insider with ESPN. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I I guess I feel bad now because yesterday apparently I was really roughing you because you were going off. You went off in this riff on – What do you mean rough? On Kikuchi's sleep. I wasn't paying no attention. And, and I, I, man, I, I you did know, my Blair, own. Didn't, you didn't play along I with did, Barker. You, you basically said I that it was my, a waste of time and then – and and uh, Whit Merrifield's name drop as you know, usual. Like, as usual, I do my homework before I come on here, yeah. and no. I had the information that I needed to come on here and, and say what I needed to say. I mean, you are, and I said it. You are right. You know, give him credit for saying that instead of coming. I would have never said that because now yeah. the first thing when you have a when you have a bad start is how many hours of sleep you get. I know that's the first question I'd ask. 
Forget about your mechanics or your velocity or your brake or your finish. No, no, no. Did you get a good solid 13 or 14, bud? <sighs> we got to run. 7.05, first pitch. Jays and Yankees. Jays going for the sweep. We'll be doing Blue Jays talk immediately following the game tonight. We'll be back tomorrow from 5 to 6.30 because it's an early start in Tampa tomorrow. Enjoy the baseball. Have yourself a great night. 